Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with the Texas Plus Water newsletter, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M University. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusWater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Votler. I'm the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal, as well as your host for Talk Plus Water. Well, we've made all the way to podcast number 14, and my guest today is Sarah Roundtree Schlesinger, who is the executive director of the Texas Water Foundation. Sarah, welcome, and thank you for being part of Talk Plus Water. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So I love to start out with uh, the background uh, of the folks that I talk to in water. So how did you first become involved with water issues? Mm, That is a wonderful question. Um, To answer that, I have to start off by saying that I am a bit of a hybrid identity. I am half Texan, half Swiss, and was raised in uh, various countries and originally thought that I was going to spend my life working in international development and went off to West Africa to work with an international nonprofit and found myself really frustrated with uh, not being able to impact change in a tangible way and left thinking, well, if I can't be an engineer or a doctor, how am I going to impact things? And I found myself in a transboundary policy class and stumbled across water and thought, bingo, this is it. Water has the capacity to impact all parts of society, your socioeconomic realities, your gender equality, your infrastructure, economic decisions. Um, So I specialized that and continued within international development for a little bit and then ended up in in Texas. I love that answer. Uh, You know, I I always see myself as kind of a generalist because there are lots of things around water that I I'm interested in, and it sounds similar in terms of what you're saying. You know, you had a whole bunch of different interests, and water's kind of the connecting um, element of it. That's right, yeah. I really saw it as being kind of the platform from which you could access all of those different conversations and, and understand them in a really practical level. And so, you know, I... Have a, a, I went on to get a, a, a master's degree in water science policy and management. So I call myself a, a, not a generalist, but a translator between those different sectors, <laughs> um, which is a nice play on my international background as well. That's great. That's great. Now you, you, we're in the uh, water program at Oxford, right? That's right, yeah. So that program was launched specifically to be a multidisciplinary program, and I think it was the first of its kind, whereas previously um, folks that go on to get water degrees are going to be either engineers or lawyers or um, scientists specifically. This one was really intended to be a combination of all those factors. So I did everything from hydrogeology to international freshwater law, um, regulatory, you know, policy and the rest of it. And and it was a a really interesting class. Well, you know, uh, when I started off in the 80s, you know, there really was kind of one track to get involved with water in Texas. And that was, you know, to be a hydrologist or, or maybe a civil engineer. Right. And, you know, there are just so many 
different opportunities now. And if you look at the, the leadership of the water organizations in the state now, you know, they all used to be engineers. I mean, they're attorneys. There are people who are specialists in uh, communication um, and science. And so it's just it's very different now. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the, the program at Oxford was launched by a group of practitioners, folks that were working out in the field. I think specifically two of them had worked for a number of large World Bank projects. And what they realized is that that siloed industry approach was no longer meeting the needs of these complex decisions because water is a platform from which you can access all of these different conversations. And so they found that there was a need to equip their their graduates with a fuller understanding of how these different components affect each other. And that was really the intention. So you finished at Oxford, uh, and then is that when you came back to Texas? Not quite. Actually, I, I finished there and I was offered an opportunity because of some volunteer work I had done previously to go to Haiti um, post-Earthquake and help launch a startup industry there. So there was a small uh, for-profit but locally incorporated company that was looking at establishing a decentralized alternative water infrastructure. And what that means was producing a series of um, water production and distribution hubs in peri-urban communities. And I was their product development manager, which I fought tooth and nail because I thought I have no background in product development. But it allowed me again to access this idea of, okay, how do you come up with a value proposition, a service that is going to impact people's lives? Still makes sense in terms of the treatment track that we were designing. And so I was involved. I was at employee number three and um, very fortunate to do that for about a year and a half and loved doing that. And then I came back to Texas. So when you got back to Texas, uh, how did you, uh, you know, been, began your water career here? So when I came back to Texas, it was still during the the last drought, and I had a number of contacts here, a dialogue that had been started because I did my master's uh, uh, research thesis on uh, Valverde County, which is where my family's from. And I started those conversations again and knew that I wanted to be in groundwater specifically. That was my area of interest. And I am really interested in decentralized management structures. You know, that was consistent through graduate school. It was consistent in in Haiti and it continues to be consistent in, in a lot of what I'm interested in. Um, So eventually I I attended a Texas Alliance of Groundwater Districts meeting out of interest and met the illustrious Dave Mock of the Bandera County River Authority and Groundwater District and found myself asking a lot of questions of how it is that you had a hybrid groundwater district and river authority. So I followed up, eventually did some part-time work and then eventually moved, decided to move from Haiti to Bandera, (laughs) uh, you know, because those two things make sense um, and work for them for a little bit as they're in governmental relations coordinator. So that district, is that the only district that's like that in Texas? That's the only one I'm aware of. That's, that's right. Yeah. And it's, and it's unique. I don't know that it was intentional necessarily to give them that hybrid um, authority. It's not your standard uh, river authority in that they're not selling water, but it does have the ability to manage the Medina River there. And it has, um, uh, it, it has a, an interesting combination of, of authorities, powers and authorities that are um, a production of an evolution over time in history. Hmm. Okay. And so from there, where'd you go next? 
So from there, I was fortunate to be tapped on the shoulder to um, step into the position of executive director of the Texas Alliance of Groundwater Districts following Stacey Steinbach. Um, and I did that for about four years, and that was really, really remarkable, and it gave me my first real taste of um, being in a, in a more policy-focused conversation in Texas around groundwater. And also decentralization, about 100 groundwater districts. That's right. Yep. Decentralized groundwater management, um, 16 uh, planning groups as well, and gave me kind of a nuanced understanding of how it is that the policy dialogue is constantly, I think, at that point of tension between, well, how do we how do we use this decentralized framework, which really I, I think is one of the best models in the world. It's part of what brought me back to Texas is really looking at how unique and um, I always say this cautiously, strangely progressive, our our water management strategies are. Um, yeah, but but I feel like groundwater policy is always operating at this tension of an evolving Texas that is no longer as rural as it used to be. So you have this rural-urban tension, um, but you have this decentralized management structure, which works really well for resources that are very local in their impact. And so that was a that was a really wonderful experience to get get to know the districts, get to know the the daily operational challenges that they have to keep up with the um, evolution of water policies and requirements that are being asked of them and overall just you know felt felt very honored to be a part of that group that's great that's great and you you mentioned something uh, I was uh, uh, part of well, Robert Mace and I, and Robert did most of the a review for a groundwater volume uh, that looked at groundwater all over the world. And there were some articles in there uh, where folks, you know, in other countries were looking at groundwater management in Texas, and they really, they just really didn't understand it. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they were pretty much saying, well, there's no rule of management there. That's right. And, uh, and we were looking at that saying, well, okay, we're going to have to say something about that. Uh, but it, it seems like uh, to me that a lot of people just don't really understand the system very well here in Texas. You know, it's privately owned groundwater, which is right. something that's hard for them. Yeah, to I feel like a, a lot of times the the narrative around rule of capture as being the baseline from which we talk about uh, groundwater management leaves people with the impression that we're operating in a Wild West scenario. And what they what they forget or they miss in that assumption is all of the nuance and all of the planning intricacies that go into it. And so I have found often with a lot of my colleagues from Oxford or from other uh, research institutes around the world that they come in and it really takes them a long time to wrap their head around the degree of sophistication that exists within that. So from that, you uh, started at the Texas Water Foundation after that, replacing uh, Carol Baker, who's retired. So tell me about the Texas Water Foundation. Well, it was quite a transition. The Texas Water Foundation was created in the late 90s by Senator Buster Brown, who was the chairman of the Senate Natural Resources Committee 
as a means of um, increasing awareness around the value of water is kind of the short way of synthesizing that mission statement. And that mission statement continues to be true of the core, the root of what it is Texas Water Foundation is seeking to do. So we're 501c3, just like TAG was, education-based. And for the past um, a couple of decades, it's really the the... The role of the Texas Water Foundation has been predominantly around education outreach. Carol had a very prominent role as uh, somebody who worked in and around policy as having a lot of personal relationships and really a lot of respect from policymakers as being one of the, the primary voices on water conservation education. She has a, a significant legacy on a national scale of having helped pass some significant policy initiatives surrounding water conservation. Um, But the Texas Water Foundation now, or or I would say recently, has has really just become synonymous with water conservation education, with Carol Baker's efforts, and and with our rather remarkable board. And in terms of the history there, if you look at the the people that are on our board, they really represent Texas water policy history in in the last 40 years. You know, there's some really significant former legislators who were the chairman of House Natural Resources, of Senate Natural Resources, um, key staffers, some of our our major agencies as well. It's, It's rather remarkable. So... The timing of me stepping over to the Texas Water Foundation is one, because Carol was ready to to step down from it, um, which is happening across the water sector. You and I have talked about this a lot. You know, it's really amazing. I mean, for so many years, no change, and then the last two, three years, it's just hard to keep up with all of it. That's right. Absolutely. There's a lot of momentum right now. And the other part of it is that we had some um, very wise philanthropic uh, donors look at uh, the need in Texas to have an organization that was invested in some of that leadership transition. And so there was a effort to develop a new strategic plan last year, and that was developed by Redstone, a group out of Colorado, and really looking at some of the the pulse and the ideas that are coming out all over the country. And they, they identified that Texas Water Foundation had the capacity to evolve and to meet some of these challenges. So we have evolved and we have three new programs that I think is going to expand what was previously known really just as water conservation education and is now going to become a little bit more comprehensive in meeting some of the challenges of the Texas water sector. So tell us about those programs. So delighted to tell you about these programs. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I've been sitting with the identity crisis of how to synthesize this extraordinary strategic plan into practical, accessible policy, you know, programs for the past few months. And they are, in short, leadership, education, and policy. Those are the three program areas. Leadership, it will be no surprise to you as we talk about retirements and the shifting market dynamic, is really to address the need to equip our water leaders, our emerging water leaders, with the appropriate skill set to navigate really complex challenges. Because, as we alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, it requires a great deal more than being a good scientist or a good lawyer or a good engineer to become a leader in a sector and to have staff and to be able to translate financial statements and to have the EQ to um, navigate conflict resolution, which is your specialty. Yes. (laughs) 
Indeed. So we have a the, the very first Texas Water Leaders Program is launching in March, and I'm proud to say that as of this last week, our application is available online. So you can go to our website, texaswater.org, and look up the leadership program and look up how that curriculum is going to be built. The other half of it is, um, is going to be a leadership program for decision makers outside of the water sector. So I'm going to back up and say... When we think about our mission statement of helping Texans increase their awareness around the value of water, we're really thinking about three different decision-maker groupings. The first is your emerging water leaders, which we've spoken about now. The second is leaders outside of the water sector that we think really impact the way that decisions are made. And I'm talking about our elected officials, our city, city council members, county commissioners, corporate leaders. I think who are all have a, a rising um, responsibility to be able to speak about water issues. And then the third decision maker group is a group that I'm calling our everyday decision makers, also known as the general public. So our, our programs are really geared to address those three decision maker groupings. The leadership program is intended to be for those emerging water leaders and for the decision makers outside of the water sector. And we're very proud to be calling that entire leadership program um, we're going to be naming it after Carol. It's called the Carol Baker Water Leadership Institute. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Now, so you mentioned the program that's open for applications right now. Right. What's the deadline for those applications? So the deadline is December 31st. The course will begin in March of 2020. It requires three days of classroom time per month for three months, so March, April, May. Um, currently open for applications. There is a tuition involved with it. Um, we also have a scholarship fund that has been established. In fact, we're very proud that we have a scholarship fund that has been established by Robert Puente. Yeah. Um, so every every year we hope to um, solicit the applications of folks who whose employers may not be able to cover their tuition costs. Um, but every year we are going to try to graduate between 15 and 20 emerging water leaders with a Texas Water Leaders Certification. So 15 or 20 folks, mm-hmm. and uh, the meet or the class uh, uh, three-day commitment per month. That's all going to be in Austin. Or are you going to move around the state? How are you going to do that? It's all going to be in Austin for now. Yeah, this is going to be our pilot year, and for now, it's intended to be in Austin. So there's these nine days of classroom training. It's broken up into three modules, which I'll tell you a little bit more about here in a second. But it's also going to be combined with some strategic mentorship opportunities oh. and access, hopefully, to some key um, associations as well, where some of that networking and trust and collaboration is built. So the mentors, do they come from uh, the Water Foundation's board, or where, where are you going to get That's right, because we have such an extraordinary board. Our hope is to uh, give our participants access directly to those leaders. Um, so that's going to be made up of our board and also our advisory board. Great. Other details you want to share with us? Sure. Um, I guess it's worth noting that the the type of applicant that we're looking for is somebody that has between three and 15 years of experience in Texas water specifically. So we're really looking for folks who are on track to step into positions of leadership. 
and the curriculum is based around three modules. The first is your traditional leadership skills, executive management skills, financial literacy, something that's being called MBA in a day, right? Uh, I, I like to share with people that when I started with TAG, I think I went home every day with a stomach ache because I had never had to read financial statements before, right? And so I had this background in water policy, but I didn't know what the administrative requirements were of running a nonprofit. And that was really felt like a barrier to getting going. Um, so the, the first module is going to be built around those, those skills. And the second module is going to be around what we're calling our, our soft skills, our internal leadership. Um, those are going to be things like uh, how to give an effective presentation. You know, all of us just want to give a presentation as well as Robert Mace does. That's that's the goal, right? Um, so how you're gonna to, have cats in it, and you're just, gonna have the formula will be cats <laughs> plus tacos equals good presentation and windmills and windmills exactly, that. exactly. So it'll be effective presentation. It will be um, conflict resolution and general EQ skills, or taking a personality assessment, understanding what type of leader you are. All of right. us are different. Our staff are different. Understanding how to amplify people's strengths, um, how not to, to set them up for success as well, that sort of thing. Those are some of the things I do in the, the workshops I do where, you know, you take a little short assessment about your, you know, negotiation styles and, right. you know, how, uh, you know, you can work to um, do a better job with people who have different styles. And and so that's great. And so are you going to try to also get a little geographic diversity? Are you going to try to get some candidates from Across Dallas the state. and Houston and Absolutely. El Paso and all that? Yeah. So we have a, we have a, um, a selection committee that is made up by our our board members where there's a very specific rubric. One of the goals of this is not just to equip emerging water leaders, but also to ensure that we're bringing more diversity into our, our, our leadership. Texas is increasingly becoming more and more diverse. And we want to make sure that the leadership at the helm of these different uh, utilities and agencies and regulatory entities and on and on and on are, are representative of that. Um, so we do have a, a specific methodology that will make sure that we have geographic Graphic diversity, as well as um, background, making sure we're not, you know, we're kind of breaking across those silos. And then the third module of this curriculum is going to be to provide a multidisciplinary understanding of Texas water so that as participants come out, they have a full understanding of how Senate Bill 1 and Senate Bill 2 and Senate Bill 3 operated and have it straight from the source, really understanding some of the nuance of the policy history, having an overview of how surface water works, how groundwater works, how the scientific underpinnings work. Um, so our, our hope is, is as you come out of that, you have those hard skills soft skills, and then also kind of a comprehensive review of how Texas water works. That's great. That's great. And so, so that's the leadership program. That's the leadership program. So tell me about, uh, next, I guess the education program. Right. So the education program is really, uh, the, the continuation of what Texas water foundation has been doing all these years to raise awareness. What we're going to be doing this year, however, is we've inherited the efforts to build a statewide water education campaign and are currently um, looking at 
developing a new statewide water education campaign that can be used by different communities and utilities and regulatory entities in conjunction with their own localized messages. Uh, we have that message going out to statewide polling in the next week or so, from which we hope to have some data on how well our proposed campaign might work. Um, and then thereafter, we're going to be looking for some pilot markets to test it in early 2020 and see if we can get some traction on how effective a statewide water education campaign would be. Oh, that's interesting. So, um, so it's not, uh, for example, like the campaign that San Antonio had specifically about the Edwards offers aquifer or something, but it's more about the water resources of the state? Right, okay. exactly. So I think that, you know, a lot of people have heard about these efforts at the Water for Texas conference as the effort to try to develop a don't mess with Texas for water, right? So Roy go. Spence and his team had been involved in, in some of that. Um, and we've kind of inherited some of that effort. And our hope is that we are going to find a message that, you know, um, taps into the, the pride and the story of Texas as a way to invite all Texans to really imagine the value of water and then allow the individual groups to still use their, their, their individual, uh, not allow them, obviously, they, they've, they've invested in, into incredible localized campaigns, but have there be something that really unifies all of it and becomes more of this Texas banner campaign. Well, I have to tell you, you know, I interviewed Roy for the Q&A, which is the written uh, interview that we have for Texas Water. And I tried to suggest to him, I say, hey, how about uh, no water, no Texas? You know, I think that's not pretty. <laughs> you know, he didn't like that. that. That's come up a couple of times. <laughs> so the one, the one that we're playing with right now is Texas Runs on Water. That's the that's the that's the one that's going out to the polls that we're going to be um, looking at a little bit. There's a couple of other ID campaign ideas as well. There was Texas Do or Dry was one of the ideas that had come up. That's the one I'd heard. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So we're looking at a couple of options right now, and we'll uh, be excited to tell you what the polls show. Good. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. Yeah. And so the last. Uh, program is the policy program. Is that right? That's right. And it's the one that I personally am, am so excited about. We've been trying to figure out exactly what space Texas Water Foundation is going to live in, um, in the midst of having some really important research institutes, really important um, advocacy and policy groups. And, and Texas Water Foundation has uh, been known all of these years as really staying nonpartisan, as having this board, as being representative of, of water policy history, but maintaining this education kind of resource um, uh, position. And so we've been thinking about how to continue that legacy and how to grow it and how to make it useful. And where I've landed is in the development of a water policy institute that is going to look at developing nonpartisan, non-technical issue briefs for the decision makers outside of the water sector. So whether that's our legislators or elected officials otherwise in county or city government, um, we're really going to be trying to develop those those non-technical issue briefs that are almost uh, as we're like, we, we describe them as snackable issue briefs. So accessible, readable. Um, and we're hoping to continue to work with uh, with Meadows, with Robert, and and with all of the stakeholders that have been involved in the Water Grand Challenges process and, and synthesizing those to help give other people a pulse of what's going on, the important issues. So when you say an institute, uh, you're going to have this entity that will be within the foundation or you will maybe have it 
uh, at someplace like the Meadows Center, or how do you how do you? No, so that it's envisioned to be one our our policy program within the, the Texas Water Foundation. Okay. And down the road, what I really would love to be able to do is to um, to fund more research on asking answering questions that haven't been haven't been answered yet. So thinking about it kind of like a public policy institute. Okay, great. And so, you know, you've. Uh, been before the legislature, of course, a number of times, and you know you, of course, led the Texas Alliance of Groundwater District districts, and you know you've interacted with the legislature. So the, you know, my impression has been that the legislature really does, uh, you know, listen to, you know, a select group of people who they see as being nonpartisan and having the background and helping them to try to figure out some of the difficult questions that they're trying to tackle. And, you know, the foundation's uh, role in that, uh, and given its relationship with board members who've been in the legislature, I mean, it's really a unique position to be in for your organization. Yeah, it's a unique position. It also um, is one that requires some delicacy as well to maintain the the nonpartisan kind of positioning. And the other thing is, you know, I recognize that there's an entire constellation of, of groups that do a really extraordinary job building consensus, representing their specific um, constituents or stakeholder groups. And my intention is not to uh, disrupt any of that, but really just to come in as an additional piece. And and one of the, the concepts also that I've realized, as you mentioned, is that there's you know a group of people that the legislature really listens to. And there's also a lot of groups that would love to find more ways to become relevant in the conversation. And so we're hoping that in producing some issue briefs and developing a, uh, a resource library online as well, that we can help diversify and expand some of that conversation. You know, I, in the past, I would have thought that some of these groups really are com- competing with each other. But to me, it seems like they're more complementary these days and that there's yeah. like a lot more interest among the organizations that you're referring to to work together? Definitely. My observation has been that there is a, a really an ecosystem out there where they're all working um, to serve particular functions, right? And, and I, I think that it's very collaborative. Within TAG, right, there's, there's a, a, a pretty detailed process by which the position of TAG is determined. TWCA is really remarkable in the way that they build consensus across these different committee groups, and that has continued to evolve and become more and more sophisticated. Um, And I would say generally in terms of the nonprofits in the space, my observation is that there's an increasing emphasis on networks and uh, collaborations amongst people, and I think it makes it more valuable. So in, in reflecting on the leadership program, one of the impacts that we hope to see a decade down the road is that the the graduates of each year's class have a natural relationship with each other as well because they were graduates of a particular class, even if they continue to go on to different sectors within within Texas water. Um, and I think that that's really important if we're going to solve some of these complex issues is that there be more of a multidisciplinary ecosystem that exists there. Right, right. And, you know, also one thing that I you know, often think about is, you know, there's so much of the concentration of these organizations in Austin Mm. and also uh, the knowledge base 
that doesn't, you know, seem to, um, you know, get distributed out to other parts of the state is as as well. And, you know, that's probably one of the challenges is that, you know, there are folks in Houston and in Dallas and in El Paso who are in the water community, but don't regularly get to come here. And, you know, having folks from those places in the leadership academy, I imagine, would be uh, one way to try to to get more interaction. Yeah, absolutely. I I think... I think it's even interesting, you know, as we as we have a conversation about an appropriate statewide water education campaign, a lot of the feedback that we've received is, well, how can you have one message? Water is so nuanced in Texas. Right. What you're talking about in Houston and what you're talking about in El Paso is very different in terms of intended outcome. And so I think that there's, you know, value in saying, wow, Texas is incredibly diverse, both geographically, uh, uh you know, as well as in terms of landscapes and communities and and uh, challenges, but there's also a, a commonality there, and so I think that there's this this opportunity to leverage the fact that we have a decentralized, you know, noteworthy system of planning from the ground up. Really, I mean, Texas is extraordinary on a global scale for having put that together, but there's still an opportunity for us to invest in the next generation of leaders in a in a comprehensive way that allows them to have relationship with each other. Oh, that sounds great. So let's close with this question. Uh, what do you think are the biggest water challenges facing Texas, not only in the future, but also right now? Mm. Well, I mean, to, to speak to our programs, I think that it is very evident that one of our biggest challenges is that there's going to be a growing gap in leadership as really extraordinary water leaders start to retire and step down. You can see that with Carol. You can see that in a number of our agencies and, and major associations, there have been a lot of retirements. I know within the groundwater districts in the past year, there were over 10 retirements. I mean, that's almost 10% of the industry, right? Um, there continues to be shifting uh, roles there. So I think that that's going to be a challenge. Generally speaking, I would say capacity building because the what's being required of water leaders is becoming increasingly complex. It's becoming much more sophisticated. And I think that we need to consider what we will need to do from a capacity building standpoint to make sure that they're ready for that. Um, and then broadly speaking, you know, I feel like Texas is... is kind of calling the question a little bit on the way that groundwater and surface water are managed um, as we consider the fact that population is going to more than double in the next 50 years and we have to think strategically about how resources are allocated, There, I think there's increasingly going to have to be conversation about that. It always comes back to the question of value. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm really focused on right now myself is... Uh, you know, how we uh, figure out a way to convey the value of water to the public uh, in a more effective way than we do at this point. And so uh, the Water Journal's got an article coming out uh, fairly soon that has some discussion about that, which I think is pretty interesting, but uh, there's going to be a lot more discussion about it in the future for sure. Well, I can't wait to read that. The Where I have decided that our mission statement um, has extended to is that we believe 
that everything we love about Texas is rooted in water. Whether you're talking about uh, Texas barbecue or Texas beers or Texas uh, football fields or oil and gas industry or ag or any of the things that we value because there's this disassociation of the value of water within those things, I think that's where I would love for us to raise the awareness is that all the things that you love about Texas require water to 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 be managed well I agree. I agree. And I, the good news is I think I think people are starting to realize that. Mm-hmm. The last couple of decades with the droughts we've had, uh, I think that's kind of brought that home a little bit more. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I personally feel that that people will be much more receptive to that message going forward than maybe they have been the last 20 or 30 years, but but we'll see whether they are or not. Yeah, we'll see. So thank you so much for coming on the show and, so and talking water with me today. It was great. Absolutely. Thank you. And we're going to have to pull you into the leadership training on conflict resolution. Oh, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm there. You just tell me when and where. So this has been Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with Texas Plus Water, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. My guest today was Sarah Roundtree Schlesinger, Executive Director of the Texas Water Foundation. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusWater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Bottler, the host of Talk Plus Water. Let's talk water again soon.